I was born here. I was raised here. I'm a child of immigrants myself. My background is Pakistani. I saw what my folks struggled through to get to where they are today. And I followed in those footsteps. You know, I went to school here. I've been trying to work to make New York City better within public health. It means a lot to me. The work that we do affects all of us. So it's rewarding in that aspect. And it's something that's very personal to me. That was today's guest, Mustafa Ali. Hello and welcome everybody to Making Public Health Personal. This podcast is brought to you by the CUNY Graduate School of Public Health and Health Policy in New York City. I'm your host, Lor Mioli Farragon. Thanks for listening. Today's guest is Mustafa Ali, who received his bachelor's in environmental justice from the CUNY baccalaureate program. And then in 2015, he received his MPH from Hunter College, which later became the CUNY School of Public Health that we have today. Mustafa's internship and work experience includes operational data and GIS analyses at New Jersey Transit, where he worked on both the Super Bowl and the Pope's 2015 visit to our area. In 2016, he joined the New York City Department of Health and Mental Hygiene as an analyst in the Office of Emergency Preparedness and Response. Over time, he climbed the ranks and even supported the agency's COVID response efforts. In 2022, Mustafa progressed into his current role as a director of risk and analytics, focusing on agency-wide preparedness infrastructure development and conducting risk assessments while applying an equity-based lens. Mustafa, thanks for joining me. Likewise, it's a pleasure to be on. So for those who are not familiar, the New York City Department of Health Office of Emergency Preparedness and Response, it does a lot behind the scenes that not everyone is aware of. Can you describe your department and then what you do specifically? Yeah, definitely. So Oprah's mission is straight up to advance DOH image and New York City's ability to prevent, prepare, and respond to, and recover from various health impacts and emergencies. So we're grounded in a lot of coordination across the agency. We do planning, we do exercises, we do responses. So as such, we're broken down into those different bureaus. One is the Bureau of Emergency Preparedness and Response. They do all the planning and exercising for our various emergency response efforts. Bureau of Field Operations, where I used to be actually, does the on-the-ground work. Think of the vaccine operations, the supply chain and whatnot. We try to keep the healthcare sector going and public health going during emergencies. My Bureau is of Healthcare and Community Readiness, and we engage the healthcare system. Think of hospitals, nursing homes, et cetera, et cetera, various healthcare service providers and the community in order to build capacity to respond and recover from those public health emergencies. I work within the unit of technology, data, and communications. So a lot of what we do is perform analyses and risk assessments of the various things that could affect New York City and the infrastructure. We try to make sure that it's available and deployable when an emergency, public health emergency occurs. We have one other bureau that is our HR, that's the Grants Management and Administration. Because we're a heavily grant-funded division, they take care of all of our sort of finances and procurement and supplies and whatnot to make sure that we are capable of doing the various sort of responsibilities that we have. What are some of those risks and hazards that you assess and rank? Yeah, so we actually have a risk assessment dated back to 2018, where we did do an analysis of up to 30 hazards that involve whether environmental political, public health. The classic examples are pandemics, epidemics, coastal storms. We do study things like earthquakes, tornadoes, and things of that nature. They aren't the most common, but then we sort of assess which ones are the most severe, which ones can be managed, and we sort of determine the risk from those two factors. How severe can, for example, a pandemic be, and how can it be managed? And then we assess our risk. How severe 
can an epidemic be? And just to clarify, a pandemic would be something like COVID, while an epidemic would be something like HIV AIDS or even monkeypox. Yeah. And you studied environmental justice. What inspired your interest in that and in public health? I graduated from high school in the backdrop of like rising waters, Hurricane Katrina, Inconvenient Truth had come out. I was someone who was always attuned to sort of that environmental perspective. And when I was studying in school, I noticed a lot of this work. It contained a lot of data, which again, is something I'm a fan of, but it didn't have that people-focused lens that I felt was missing at the time. And maybe missing is not the right word, but I couldn't see it at the time. Others were doing that type of work, but it wasn't readily available. So what I did is I worked with the CUNY Baccalaureate program to develop a major that puts people at the forefront, at least from both a policy and idea perspective. And that's what I did in terms of developing that major. It really helped me form and inform my ideas of what environmental justice was. I even ended up taking a PhD course at the CUNY Graduate Center to help capstone my undergraduate as I pursued graduate study at CUNY Hunter College in public health. And when it comes down to it, justice, it's not like a goal. It's more of just a framework for how we should conduct ourselves as people and as professionals. So whether it's health equity, social justice, health justice and health equity, they're virtually the same, but social justice, environmental justice, or any sort of justice, it's something that I carry with me as I work within the public health sector. Awesome. And we know that technology has evolved quite a bit since 2015 when you graduated. Like, I'm sure we've come light years from then. But tell everybody about what was GIS or Geographic Informational Systems and Mapping back when you were in school versus what that technology is like today. Yeah. Yeah, technology has changed quite a bit. To put things in perspective, when I was studying GIS, there were no actual like mobile apps that you could download on your phone. There was no LTE. I think 3G may have just started at the time. And GIS was really more a function of surveying, as in people would be making maps by hand, and then they would translate them into an application. That's what GIS was used for. However, if you go a few hundred years back, the father of epidemiology, John Snow, he made one of the first maps, actually, of public health, of cholera outbreak. Mm -hmm. And that was GIS, I guess, from mm -hmm. quite a long time ago, map making. But again, it wasn't easily accessible to anyone. In fact, most people were using MapQuest over Google at that time. So it was a very different sort of atmosphere in terms of learning the technology. And the learning curve, I would say, was also much higher back then. So not everyone could get into it, you know, taking a tutorial and thinking, oh, wow, I want to pursue this. But nowadays, you have so many sort of free programs, free applications. So you're able to use your own phone cameras to record information as you go about your day. And GIS has grown from that sort of taking physical maps and just making them digital to being so much more. I say everyone's a GIS person when they start Googling something, find a place to go to, you are doing GIS there. And many sort of research and analyses have GIS components now. I've been published on a paper that literally involved GIS mapping of a super fun site. So there are a lot of different ways that GIS has now become more accessible to folks or people who are interested these days. And its dimensions have grown of what it was before to what it is now. So where do you guys get the data that you use to create these maps? What's great is that the infrastructure for gathering data has grown significantly. Many different groups and stakeholders have their own databases that we can work with to pull that information in, whether it's ad hoc through an API 
or through other sort of methods. And also depends on the data quality. There are things that are sometimes very high quality. There are things that are not that we have to clean up and whatnot. But I would say in general, data is a lot more accessible these days than they were in the past. Still not as great. There are many sort of silos <laughs> But we're working on trying to address that. It also breaks down into what's quantitative versus what's qualitative. Numbers are easy to get. Qualitative, often you have to do some work with that data. What does yes mean in the context of this question? What does no mean in the context of that question? It can mean a lot. A ranking of one through five can mean a lot based off what story we're planning to tell with that data. So that's where data is in terms of our access. But we being a public health agency, a rather big agency, we do have existing contacts and context to procure or get data that is needed for our various operations and planning efforts. If you dream of making a difference in the world, a public health degree or certificate can give you the tools to do just that. The City University of New York's Graduate School of Public Health and Health Policy equips public health professionals to advance not only a healthier New York City, but a healthier world for us all. We want you to join us in our mission. Visit sph.cuny.edu to learn more about our programs. No matter where you are in your career, CUNY SPH offers a broad range of degree and certificate programs to not only help you advance in your career, but to have a real impact on the world. Public health professionals are needed now more than ever. Join us. Visit sph.cuny.edu to learn more. Data is so important today. How is it an important part of your job as director of risk and analytics? There are a lot of ways to break down data, but we'll focus on these two. One is infrastructure, which is sort of base data. You really want to have a strong house or a strong structure in place when you're working with data. And that type of data is always needed. Think of location, geography in terms of size and all the sort of quantitative aspects, those are infrastructural components or of an application or of a database. You need tables, you need services, you need front ends, back ends. That's the infrastructural data that's very crucial for the work that we do, whether it's a risk assessment or a report or a visual. But then there's the analytical data or the BI data, the business intelligence. This is the sort of the data that we tell the story about. So we have our infrastructural data. This is just the base. We're talking about New York City. But now let's talk about the demographics of New York City. Let's talk about economics. Let's talk about the other aspects of New York City. That's where storytelling is very crucial. And that type of data, it really matters what you plan on doing with it, because you could tell the most happy, most sad, most in-between, most nuanced, as we love to say, in terms of stories about that type of data. And that's crucial for the risk assessments that we do. We're tagging something as first, as highest. We're tagging something as lowest risk. We have to tell why we're doing that. What is the reason for why this is the highest risk to the New York City population? What is the reason why this is the lowest risk? Because there will be questions that follow and ask why about both of those conclusions that I make or my team or the agency as a whole makes. This will impact people. We are a policymaking agency. We are a regulatory agency. What we do, what we prescribe, People have to, you know, follow up on. So we have to take care with how we work with that data and provide access to it as needed. Has there ever been a piece of data or a report that you put together that really told you a story that you weren't expecting or something that raised alarms for you guys? So there's definitely, I would say, a few stories on that. One was in my previous bureau. What we were trying to do was, and this project was to essentially staff essential staff at various sites for public health. 
emergency responses. What we discovered that is when we focused on DOHMH staff, their locations, their addresses and whatnot were not equal across the five boroughs. Many people live within Brooklyn, actually, which is mm-hmm. interesting, DOHMH staff. So the staff sites in the Bronx, it meant longer commutes for folks. And that was really a stark visual about how place matters uh, with the data that we work with. So we have all these different sites for various sort of emergency operations, and we want to staff them equally, right? We want to serve the entire New York City public. But if we're using only our staff, start to realize that DOHMH staff are not distributed evenly. We don't all live evenly across the five boroughs. So it's something that was very stark that we noticed that, yes, in theory, we could staff every site with the essential employees with the skills that are needed to run them. But that theory starts to have some holes when someone has to commute 20 miles from where they live to get to a site and they may have other commitments. Or that theory starts to you know, have issues when we can't even back up those essential folks in case someone doesn't show up because of that commuting distance. So that's something that I worked on that really told that story. I'm currently working on our jurisdictional risk assessment. So that's due in 2024. I anticipate many things that we did not anticipate. Maybe that's the best way to describe it. Like I'm already prepared for it, that we know that there are things that we did not take into account when we're ranking what a pandemic can do in the future, what a cyber attack can do in the future, what an epidemic could do in the future, what a coastal storm and so on can do. Because we are taking in the sort of input from various stakeholders, ranging from super SMEs to people who just went through this. Someone who went through an hurricane also has that experience that's very unique or maybe shared by their neighbors. And that's something we want to take into account as we perform this analysis. But that's not done yet. We'll see when it's done, but I'm already prepared to have my sort of assumptions be challenged. So how did you keep up with the changes in technology and the new skills that you needed to get to where you are today? Because your job changed quite a bit since you graduated. Yeah, one could argue I write mostly emails all day. Don't we all? (laughs) Yeah, but yeah, I do try to stay up to date with subscriptions to various tech sites and channels. And I've picked up Python, which is a pretty big thing in the data and analytics field. BI skills, again, I love telling stories with data. So that's something that I try to stay up to date on. Business intelligence, visuals, think of tools like Tableau, Power BI, You could use Excel, actually. I always say start in Excel before you go to others. Or even if you don't have Excel, Google has a version of it that lets you also make visuals. So staying up to date is not easy because things do progress very quickly. But I will say not just me, but the agency as a whole is also exploring AI and other sort of tools that are the future. And we are developing what is known as a data modernization initiative to update all the various things that we work on. And I participate on it along with various other sort of data nerdy folks at the agency get us all to move forward with technology as it moves forward because you really don't want to be left behind. We already see the digital divide. Many have written about research about that, about the digital divide right here in this country and across the world. And we really want to be at the forefront of advancing the various technology efforts that exist. So how did your job change during the pandemic and how is it different today? I was like many at the agency, an analyst that was working on various data and and whatnot. But during the pandemic, when the lockdown occurred, I was not able to work from home. And truth be told, everyone in our division already was able to remotely work because of the nature of our job. Our division requires us to sometimes just be on call for various emergencies. But I myself had to work out of one of our strategic national stockpile locations. And I did primarily reporting on the supply chain and PPE to the healthcare sector. 
to the various other sort of public health sectors that were in need of supplies. I had to figure out our warehouse management system backend database and produce actionable reports that were you know, pushed up the chain to various stakeholders, from leadership to other analysts, to QA me, to make sure I was doing things right, and so on. But I don't want to downplay what I did, but honestly, I wasn't the one in those sites receiving the supplies, shipping those items, or working at, like, at the Javits Center or U.S. Comfort. I have to give kudos to those folks who actually worked on the ground as well. Again, we all did it together, but my role was mainly on the data side in terms of reporting. And as those pandemic switched into vaccine dispensing, I again was doing reporting mainly on our staffing system, but also on the integration of our various agency systems. And that's where honestly the seeds of my future role were planted. You know, just a few days ago, I was looking at a dozen page document I worked on about all the various different systems that we need to integrate in order to make our vaccine operations successful and future activations or operations successful, like MPOX that soon followed after. So I had a preview of what I'm doing now during the pandemic, and now I'm focusing on those things these days. So what are the benefits of working in the public sector? You obviously had a huge impact on New York City during the pandemic and afterwards, but what are the other benefits that people can look forward to? New York City, it's cliche, it's called the greatest city on earth, but I'm biased. I was born here, you know, raised here. Even when my folks moved out to Long Island, I still had an affinity for New York City. The benefit is that we make the policy and we implement it and it affects everyone. It's a big responsibility and it's a big sort of, I wouldn't call it a burden, but something important to carry with you that the work you're doing impacts a lot of people. So that's something I carry with me a great deal. I take it to heart that I'm doing this type of work. But there are other benefits as well. Classic example is student loan forgiveness. You get to pay your bills while getting paid in a way in terms of getting student loans forgiven. And we get healthcare. You know, there are just like benefits of working in the public sector. You know, it's a trade-off with the private sector in terms of benefits and whatnot. But for me, it's more about that service aspect. The work that I'm doing is impacting everyone. And that's a big deal to me. That I'm not just working for myself. I'm working for others as well. And that means a lot to me. So what is the most important lesson that you learned from CUNY SPH, which back then was Hunter College? I probably wish I asked for more help. One of the things I learned from CUNY Hunter is that there are so many people who are willing to help you and I didn't do as much as I could have. And that's a lesson I've learned because now I collaborate and ask for help a lot at this agency. I work with various folks. And from there, that community aspect of CUNY, you know, is something that really was apparent while I was there. Every professor knew each other, every student, you know, we all got together at SDH or Hunter, as it was called when I attended. Uh, And probably another, I would say, great thing was more about the networking that I got from Hunter as well. Most of these folks also, many of them worked at DOHMH and various other city agencies. And it was a big sort of boost in terms of benefits, in terms of networking and whatnot. So what advice do you have for others who are looking to start a career in public health? I would say don't sacrifice experience for education, as in education is important. Yes, definitely get your degree, get your work done. But I would say experience matters more. Go for those internships, go for those volunteering opportunities, go for those fellowships. You will build those networks. And that's the benefit, us. I should have said that earlier from working in CUNY. I never, I did not graduate on time as an undergrad. I did not graduate on time as an MPH. In fact, my MPH took up to the limit that CUNY allowed for me to graduate. I think it was four years it took me to graduate with an MPH. So started in 2011 and graduated in 2015. 
because I was building that experience. So even if it meant only taking one course a semester while working full-time, that really helped me advance professionally. And if you want to get into the public health field, really try to get into sort of that volunteering, internships, fellowships, and whatnot. Education does matter. If a course will be offered every three semesters, then you you should probably take that course. But if you can take it a semester later at the cost of working at a community or at some sort of nonprofit or some sort of site to gain that experience, you should do that. And I think that's important. Experience does matter and try to get as much of it uh, while you're a student. Yeah, that's a great piece of advice. I also give to some of my students is build your resume while you're in school. Just because you happen to be a student while you were working somewhere or because it was an internship or temporary position, it still has value. You still got that experience. So I think that's great advice to say, don't rush through your degree just so that you could get to the other side, because that's where you get to build those networks and meet those people that will get your foot in the door. Yeah. And I have a CUNY intern right now. And that's the same advice I'm giving. Just this is really important. Build that network, gain that experience as you continue your education. Sounds like a great opportunity. Tell me about that internship and other opportunities that are available. So I'll start with the OPER sort of one, which is Pipeline to Preparedness. This was couched in equity in terms of getting folks that are usually not represented in emergency management. So people of color, folks from disadvantaged backgrounds to get into this field without becoming a firefighter or an ambulance driver or something like that. We wanted to offer an opportunity mainly for students to gain that experience and see if they want to get into the pipeline to preparedness, to getting into Mm -hmm. emergency response. So yeah, that's our pipeline to preparedness program. It's grounded within HRTP, which is the health research and training program that is administered by DOHMH. We also have the community preparedness program. And, you know, we match you with various groups that are doing this type of work whether it's planning, whether it's exercising, whether it's just setting up webinars and whatnot, you gain that experience. And if you're a community oriented, think of a health policy or community health major, like that could be a great way to gain that experience. Uh, We also have a community preparedness program as well that gets you embedded in the community. So you may not be working so much in the office. You may be working out more in the field with the various sort of groups that work with us. Because again, It's not just us within the building, we collaborate, we work across, you know, we work with state, federal, local, various other city agencies, companies, nonprofits, and more. We regulate it all, I guess you could say, in terms Mm -hmm. of what DHMH does. So we have already a program in place with CUNY SPH, with pretty much all the public health schools we have, which is HRTP stands for Health Research and Training Program. It's pretty much a requirement mm-hmm. to get your MPH these days. The idea is to let you get that experience. Interestingly enough, our DC, our Deputy Commissioner, Beth Malton, started out as an HRTP intern, and she's progressed from becoming an analyst to a manager to a director to assistant commissioner to now deputy commissioner. She reports directly to the leadership at the agency at this time. That's an experience that you could potentially gain by starting within one of our sort of programs at the agency. Sounds like a great way to get the foot in the door. Certainly worked out for her. Yeah. Yeah. And you. Yeah, it did. I wouldn't say I went the exact same route, but I did also do work at DOHMH as an intern as well, focusing on climate resiliency, actually. This was post-IREAD. That was the work that I did. It was that other inkling of merging environment and public health that I ended up pursuing as I transitioned from focusing on the environmental aspects to the more public health aspects. That was that bridge internship. 
And it was one of the many reasons why I didn't graduate on time. But you know what? It was worth it. Yeah. I, and I would argue that I can't think of any of my coworkers that weren't interns. It's really something special. You really want to gain that experience. It's definitely something that, that we all go through and it can be very rewarding as you progress both professionally and personally. That's great. And we'll share all those links in the description. Thanks again, Mustafa, for being a guest. And thanks for listening to Making Public Health Personal, presented by the CUNY Graduate School of Public Health and Health Policy in New York City. You can now share, like, and subscribe to our show anywhere podcasts are heard and on our YouTube channel. To find out more about our school, you can visit sph.cuny.edu or connect with us on social media. This is your host, Laura Mioli-Ferragon, signing off. And while public health has a global impact, that doesn't mean we can't make it personal.